It was late at night. We had already been driving for like 15 hours. There were three of us grown men sitting tightly side by side in a one cab, 20 foot moving truck headed for St. Louis from California. I was hitching a ride with the La Sierra recruiter and his assistant. Uh, They were headed to the general conference session in St. Louis with all the materials for their convention hall booth for the university loaded in the back of the truck. I was actually part of the PUC recruitment team, and we were in Southern California at the time. Our team was made up of a worship band of PUC students. I was one of those students. And we went to different summer camps that summer and different camp meetings all over the Pacific Union doing music ministry and recruiting for PUC. We were actually in Southern California because we were just up at Pine Springs Ranch for a week. But the next stop for our team was also St. Louis. Our praise band for PUC of PUC students was in charge of the music for what was called Impact St. Louis. It was an outreach ministry that the ministerial department put on during the GC session. But the day we were planning to make the drive to St. Louis, the fuel pump on our van broke. And you know that kind of repair is not just a simple, easy one. It was going to take a few days, delay us a few days to get there. Well, the recruiter at PUC... Our director was good friends with the the recruiter at La Sierra University, and he asked him if I could hitch a ride with them in their truck uh, to St. Louis, because we were supposed to be leading worship at the meetings in just a few days, and so the PUC recruiter, recruiter wanted me and my guitar to go out early so that I could at least lead those first few days of the worship services by myself until the rest of the team could be there. Well, the recruiter at La Sierra, who at that time was Pastor Icky Taimi, agreed. Those of you who may know who Pastor Icky is, you could just picture him. Oh, yeah, Darren can totally come with us. That's cool. We'd love to have him come. So me and Pastor Icky and his student assistant, three pretty big dudes, all crammed into that single cab truck and headed off to St. Louis. Pastor Icky said there was going to be no overnight stays. We were going to be driving all day and all night for like 30 plus hours straight because they were also trying to make a deadline to get there. But to help pass the time, Pastor Icky brought a portable DVD player. Now, this was a little bit back in the day. I know some of you listening today are like, what's a portable DVD player? Well, we used to use those back in the day in the early 2000s. And he brought a bunch of DVDs to watch. And as I mentioned, it was already late at night. And we had been driving for like 15 hours. And so we were desperate to help the time pass by. So we broke out that DVD player, started watching this movie. It was a movie set in World War II. And it was very gripping, very suspenseful. And as we got a little further into the movie, I started to notice that Pastor Icky would sometimes glance over at the screen that I was holding in my lap as me and the assistant were watching it together. One time, Pastor Icky watched a little too long to where the truck started to veer into the other lane, and he realized it quickly and corrected back by jerking the steering wheel towards uh, the direction of our lane, and uh, I was getting a little nervous after that, and I asked him, hey, is the movie distracting you? You know, we can stop watching it if it is. Oh, no, that's okay. 
Icky said. I shouldn't be looking at it anyway. I'll stop. No worries. You guys just keep watching. All right. So we kept watching. But then we got to the climactic scene of the movie. It was this epic battle scene between a sniper from the Nazi army and a sniper from the Russian army. And me and the other guy watching with me, we were just like glued to the screen, riveted by all the suspense and the intense drama. And the scene was so gripping that Pastor Icky also got sucked back in to watching it. All three of us were no longer watching the road. And in just a short time, the most gripping thing was no longer that World War II movie. It was that our truck was violently bouncing back and forth. We all looked up and saw that we were in that grass median that separates the two sides of the freeway, and we were crossing over to the other side of the highway at like 70-plus miles an hour. On the other side of the highway were two big semi-trucks. They were not very far off. Pastor Icky quickly hit the brakes and yanked the steering wheel to the right, at which point our truck started to fishtail. He then made the smart choice to just let off the brake, straighten out the wheel, and just as he did that, we narrowly missed colliding with that oncoming truck from the other side of the freeway. We glided for a bit in the grass median until we came to a stop. We were thankful to be alive and safe. As you can imagine, Pastor Icky felt horrible. We said a prayer, a long, grateful prayer, thanking God that we were okay. And we got back on the road to finish our journey. As you can imagine, we all had a renewed commitment after that experience to be very watchful. Not of any more movies. We put that DVD player away and it didn't come out for the rest of the trip. No, we had a renewed commitment to be watchful of what was most important, the road ahead. And believe me, all three of us, not just Pastor Icky, our driver, had our eyes on the road for the rest of the trip. Being watchful is important. That seems to be the gist of what Jesus tells his disciples that they are to do as they wait for his second coming. It's like he says, this is the most important thing for you to do. Be watchful. In our last message in our series on the Gospel of Mark, we turn to chapter 13. And we begin by reading the end of the chapter where Jesus gives this command to be watchful. If you have your Bibles, or the text will be on the screen, follow me along with me in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know what time, you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight 
or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. In preparation of his coming, Jesus asks his followers to keep watch. What does it mean to be watchful as we wait for Jesus' return? I think that's an important question to answer because it seems to me that the main thing Jesus says his disciples are to do in preparation for his coming is to keep watch, be alert, be on guard. We know why we are to be watchful. Jesus says it's because you don't know when the owner of the house will return. You don't know the day or the hour of me coming back. So you got to be watchful. But my question is, What does that mean? How do we watch? If we just limited ourselves to Mark chapter 13 for the answer to that question, I think we would be provided with several explanations of how we remain watchful. You know, contained in Mark chapter 13 are 17 different imperatives. So I know we could come up with several explanations from Jesus as to how we are to be watchful. But I would like to draw your attention to just two particular explanations, two ways in which Jesus, I think, tells us to be watchful. The first way is to not be alarmed. Live a life where you are not alarmed. And to understand what that means, we need to now go back to the beginning of the chapter and start reading from verse 1, Mark chapter 13. Verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will... These things happen. And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Now, I want to pause there and notice something. Notice that the disciples' question shows that they believe the destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus are the same event. And as you will notice in his response, as we read further, Jesus won't really help separate those two events the destruction of the temple, and his second coming. I read so many commentaries from various scholars, and I came across so many opinions on which parts of this chapter relate to the temple and which part relates to the end. There were various commentaries, even from just Adventist scholars, or various opinions just from Adventist scholars. And as we continue reading in verse 5, I think it's important to just note that sometimes it's hard to separate those two events, to know exactly when is Jesus talking about the temple or the time leading up to the end. Jesus also seems mostly uh, concerned uh, with the timing of the second coming here at the beginning, right uh, when we start reading in verse 5. And then it seems like, again, I don't know exactly always when these things are talking about the temple or the end, but then it seems like he moves to talking about circumstances surrounding 
the end. And then it seems like as we keep reading, he circles back to circumstances surrounding the destruction of the temple. Then it seems like he circles back again to the end of the age. Well, let's just read it together. Maybe you'll do a better job than me of deciphering which uh, things, events he's talking about. Starting in verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will, and, many, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed for such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing there it does not, uh, where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. It's not always easy, like I said before, to differentiate when Jesus is talking about the temple or the end of the age. But what is clear is that the two events are related and that the circumstances surrounding the events are intense. And these intense circumstances, Jesus says, will serve as signs of the end. Wars, rumors of wars, nations rising and falling, kingdoms against kingdom, famine, earthquakes, false prophets. Some have also believed that what we're going through right now, the coronavirus pandemic, is a sign of the end. There's really a great presentation from our very own Dr. John uh, Pauline where he addresses if COVID uh, is a sign of the end or not. You can find that awesome presentation on our YouTube channel. I'd encourage you to go and watch it. Some people think that that's what's happening right now, one of those signs of the end. And Jesus says that these uh, signs, these are intense events, like what we're going through right now. Yet he says in verse 7, do not be 
alarmed. You know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that as Christians, and maybe especially as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we have sometimes taught about the signs of the end in a very alarming way. When we see one of those signs, a major war, a national, uh, natural disaster, or some kind of cataclysmic event in the world, we have sometimes whipped up ourselves and others into a frenzy. You know, look what's happening in the world. Oh boy, we better get ready. We better get our lives in order. We better start living in obedience to God's word because he's coming back soon. The world is about to end. We can see it in the signs of the times. There's a great illustration that I heard a pastor use one time that really describes this well. Many of you have heard of him. His name is Randy Roberts. He gave this great illustration about how we approach these signs in a way that's like taking a drink of what he calls eschatological caffeine. Eschatology is the study of end-time events, and caffeine, well, you know what caffeine makes you do. Makes you more alert, more jittery, more energized, gets your heart racing. And I wonder if that often characterizes our reaction to the signs of the times. Something like COVID happens, or some tsunami or earthquake or other natural disaster happens, or we read in the news the rumors of wars with hostile nations, and it's like drinking a venti cup of eschatological caffeine, where we get all in a frenzy, all pumped up, filled with angst over what will or could happen. We better get ready, better get your life together. The world better be on notice because this means Jesus is coming soon. But then, just like with caffeine, when the event is over, we crash. And we lose all that energy and alertness in our spiritual lives. I don't think that's a healthy way to react to those signs. Or a healthy way to live your spiritual life. I don't think Jesus told us about the signs in order to get us all worked up and scare us into obedience. He couldn't have. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, don't be alarmed. Furthermore, these signs, you know, wars and nations rising against nations and rising and falling and kingdoms against kingdoms and famines and earthquakes and false prophets and lawlessness. These are things that have happened since the time of Jesus until now. Throughout many different eras and generations. Combine that with the fact that Jesus. Uh, combine that fact with the statements from Jesus, like, these are just the beginning of birth pains, or no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. Taking all that into consideration, I think it's safe to say that the purpose of these signs aren't meant to alarm us. They're meant to reassure us. Reassure us that despite what we see around us, God is still in control. He is still coming back. Because this is what he told us would happen before he does. You know, our family loves to take road trips. My wife's parents, who are visiting with us this weekend, uh, are like super hardcore at, at road trips. I'm not quite that hardcore. We once took a trip 
to Niagara Falls from their house. I had never been there. They, and when they found out I hadn't visited there, it's like, oh, we got to go visit Niagara Falls. They live in Maryland, and Niagara Falls is eight hours away, but we drove eight hours that day, toured it around for a few hours, and then turned around and drove eight hours back. That's how hardcore they are about taking road trips. I'm a little bit more, take them a little bit more leisurely. But I love taking road trips. Maybe you like to do that with your family as well. And one of the signs on the freeway when you're on your road trip that are very helpful will be mileage signs. Now, like I said, those signs are very helpful, especially when you got kids in the car and they're constantly asking, are we there yet? How much longer? I'm bored. Well, those help, you know, answer some of those questions, deal with those antsy kids. And I feel like that's the kind of sign we often thought Jesus is giving in us in these verses. They're like mileage signs. When we see these things happening in the world, it means Jesus is coming soon. We're inching closer. We're now down to only 30 miles left, 20 miles left. Now, I believe Jesus is coming soon. But how soon is soon? I believe we are in the last days, just like the disciples in Jesus' time believed. But how long will the last days last? I don't know. None of us do. From the chapter, it seems like we aren't ever supposed to know. So I think the signs Jesus gives in Mark 13 are not meant to be understood like mileage signs, but more like those blue and red signs that we are very familiar with here in Southern California that tell us which interstate we are on. Signs that say you're on the 10, the 15, the 210, the 215, the 101, the 91, the 405, the 605. These signs, you know, that we see as we are stuck in traffic on those roads here in Southern California. I think Jesus is talking about the signs here in Mark 13 being more like that. He is saying, before my coming, this is what the road will be like. This is the road you will be on. It's a tough road, one that will have many challenges, many temptations and tribulations. But I'm telling you about it ahead of time so that as you experience it, as you see these things happening, you won't be alarmed. You won't be willing to get deceived. You won't lose hope. You won't want to give up or start believing some false messiahs. But that you will persevere and stand firm to the end because you will know that these signs mean you are on the road to my return. If anything, these signs are meant to strengthen our trust and hope in Christ and his plans, his purposes. You know, if you are facing a tribulation in your life right now, if you are worried as you look at current events in our country or in our politics or in our world, don't be alarmed. Don't lose hope. They are just reminders that we are on the road to Jesus' return. I think that's one of the ways Jesus tells us to be watchful, to not be alarmed Not be alarmed by the signs, but use them as opportunities for trust and for hope in him. The second way 
in which I think Jesus tells us to be watchful in the text is this. Be bearers of good news. In his parable at the end of the chapter, remember Jesus said that being alert, being watchful is like a man who went away, leaves his servant in charge of of his house and gives them an assigned task. Well, what bigger task is there for Christ's followers than sharing the good news of the gospel? In fact, Jesus says that's exactly what he wants his disciples to do as they experience the signs of the end, whether that would apply to the temple or I'm sure it also would apply to the time of the end. He said in verse 10, you remember, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. Our task is to declare the amazing news that it is not by works, but by grace that we have been saved through faith in Jesus, that he drank our sinful cup and offered us his perfect cup of forgiveness, that he has cleansed us, that he redeems us, that he transforms us, that he's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven so that for all eternity where he is, we can be also. We have some incredibly awesome Good news to share. And sharing it is how we remain watchful. Family, I have a confession to make. I know you're still kind of getting uh, to know me uh, since we haven't really been able to do church like normal throughout this whole COVID year. But I hope you know by now that I try to be real with you. Try to be honest. And I must confess that I have had a hard time focusing on good news during this past year of COVID. I have let the circumstances of all the things I can't do or can't control be the circumstances that I largely focus on. You could ask my wife, Beamy. I am constantly obsessing over the news that comes out about COVID. The case numbers, the public health guidelines, the vaccine rollout, you know, what's our progress on that? I've even started taking screenshots every day of the Riverside County's vaccine dashboard page so that I can compare that and track better, you know, how many vaccines they are doing each day. Like, I'll come home and I'll complain to Beamy, oh, they only did 22,000 vaccine doses today. That's 10,000 less than they administered yesterday. You know, what are they doing? It should be going up every day. I am obsessing over all things COVID. And I think it's because I just so desperately want things to get back to normal. I'm sure you all want the same thing. But it has become an unhealthy obsession for me. I'm just focused on the negative circumstances, the restrictions, the things I can't do. And I think the principle Jesus is wanting me to apply to my life from Mark 13 is to not worry about the circumstances, but worry about how I can share the good news amid the circumstances. Like, What am I doing to bring news that brings great joy of Jesus to people in the midst of all that's happening? How can I share his grace, his peace, his hope with others? Jesus told me ahead of time that crazy, intense circumstances like this were going to happen. My task isn't to worry about that. My task is to share the good news in the midst of all of it. Keep doing that. And you know what I've come to realize, family? The good news of the gospel sounds even gooder. That's to borrow a word from my youngest daughter. The good news 
of the gospel sounds even gooder when it's shared and proclaimed amid the turmoil and tribulations. The more things get crazy, the more I find myself thinking, Jesus, I'm so grateful I have you. I'm so grateful for your grace, your love, your peace. No wonder you told us, Jesus, when you see these things happen, you've got to preach the gospel. You've got to share the good news. For that's what people need to hear the most in those moments. You know, in that road trip to St. Louis with Pastor Icky, I learned how important it was to keep watching. Keep watching the road ahead. And Jesus seems to say here in Mark 13 that the most important thing for us to do as we wait for his soon return is to be watchful. The road towards his coming isn't an easy one. It's going to be filled with all kinds of temptations, tribulations, disasters. But Jesus has told us about all of that ahead of time and says to us, don't be alarmed. That just means I'm on my way. And all you need to do is keep trusting in me. Keep sharing the good news about me. In other words, just keep watching. Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb could Rescue the souls of men that uh, you would give us courage by the power of your presence to be watchful. Um, Lord, and sometimes, you know, it's hard to know what that means, you know. Are we supposed to just be on alert, on high alert, on our toes, you know, anxious every moment of our lives? I'm not sure that's the reason you told us about the kind of things that would happen before you'd come. I think it was more so to keep us calm, to keep us assured that you're still working, that you're still in control, and that you are coming back soon. So Lord, help us to be watchful in the way that we see you calling us to do that here in the chapter, to practice putting our trust and hope in you as we see the signs, to not be alarmed, and maybe most importantly, to continue to be all about sharing the good news in the midst of it all. Lord, we Watch and wait for your return with eager expectation. Thank you for the hope that we have 
that you are coming back soon to bring us to be where you are for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.